You are listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium, brought to you by SustainableHomesOfTheFuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy-efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates. Share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us build the future today. Welcome back, everyone, to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium the podcast where we explore cost-effective innovations that can help us solve for sustainability in the built environment. My name is Ian Sollenberger, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ginger Matthews. Welcome, Ginger. Well, thank you very much, Ian. Um, As always, very glad to be here, and a big welcome to everyone listening. So what's on the agenda for today, Ian? Today, we will be deep diving into the first installment of what should be a fascinating three-part series on building electrification. We'll give some background today on why all electric design and construction is just starting to catch on here in the US. And we will try to persuade all of you, designers, architects, developers, and clients alike, to join us in the hashtag electrify everything movement and switch from natural gas and propane to electricity for all your energy needs. We know there are a lot of skeptics out there. We know that. So we're gonna be discussing both the health and the cost benefits of all electric builds. So regardless of the type of building you're working with, we'll explain how cost-effective it can be to swap out those nasty gas guzzling water heaters and the inefficient HVAC systems for the comfort and convenience of all electric systems and appliances. So right now the success of an all electric project depends quite a bit on who you choose as a contractor. Uh, They need to be familiar with the new methods we'll discuss in our multi-part series, so stay tuned. Uh, So hopefully uh, contractors will continue to educate themselves on the many nuances of integrating these all electric systems they are quite complicated sometimes. So be sure to avail yourselves contractors uh, of all the podcasts and videos on the subjects that we have here. And that way there'll be more acceptance, transparency, and hopefully some better industry standards moving forward. Love that idea. Um, But the real reason we started this podcast was, of course, to help generate more discussion and address the environmental and the public health issues that will occur if we don't challenge the status quo in building and construction right now. We believe that it's our job as members of the building community to be that change and to do what we can, no matter how small. So let's kick things off with a quote from the late, great Ruth Bader Ginsburg pioneer for women's rights and environmental justice for many decades before her passing last year. She said, real change, enduring change happens one step at a time. So Ian, why is the conversation about electrification so important at this particular moment in time? Great question. So two years ago, the city of Berkeley, California became the first municipality in the country to officially do away with gas hookups in all new construction. What made that possible? 
while really a bunch of recent data that shows that the cost to build a building that runs off solar and electricity is now comparable to one that doesn't. This Berkeley no gas law really paves the way for some cool changes in the way that new buildings are being designed and dozens of other California cities are now either mandating or incentivizing building without gas. Uh, there are other places in the country as well, um, but you know, just to give you the California context. Mm -hmm. This push toward electrification officially recognizes that expanding natural gas infrastructure is expensive and unnecessary and harmful to people, to the environment, and to public health. So today we'll hit on both practical and also economic reasons why all electric construction is really gaining a foothold across the country, as I said, not just here in the Golden State. That's right. Um, we don't want to give the impression, of course, that all the good ideas are coming out of California, although we have to admit plenty of them are. So, But mm -hmm. the regula regulatory context in California is a great place to start to understand some of the bigger underlying issues and barriers uh, the rest of the world actually faces. So here in Santa Monica, we now have access to one of the cleanest local electrical grids in the entire country. So only five years ago, our state's renewable energy use was less than 15% of total energy consumption, according to the US News and World Report. So for the sake of comparison, Nevada, a state well known for its glitzy Las Vegas light and water shows was actually slightly ahead of California in those 2016 rankings. That actually makes a lot of sense given that California's main source of energy is still natural gas. You know, until a few years ago, it was actually illegal to build a California home without hooking up to gas. Our state, mm -hmm. many others have had a practice of issuing bonds to fund future gas infrastructure. So really much of the recent push toward renewability is an attempt to undo some of these former policies that supported the unnecessary expansion of that gas infrastructure. Um, despite all of that, I was pleased to read recently that one in four homes in the United States is now all electric. Isn't that great? We are so glad to see building electrification catching on. Absolutely. We've been advocating for that for, for years. So with far more efficient electric appliances and the comfort and performance of electric heating and cooling systems, uh, we have the opportunity to go all electric across the country, lessen our dependence on fossil fuels. And that's the ultimate goal. What better time? Right now, as the new administration in Washington shares this vision for the future and has committed itself to electrification for federal vehicles and buildings. So good start. We talked about this in our season one energy episode. Um, the electrification of buildings has so many positive outcomes in, including, uh, I'll list them off here, lowering energy loads through that increased efficiency, better indoor comfort, better indoor air quality, cost savings, both in terms of installation and operation, a variety of affordable options for building retrofits. And, and finally, and this is where the tide can really turn, the ability to run an entire building off clean energy. Going mm -hmm. all electric reduces carbon emissions, it reduces environmental impact, and it adds to the growing list of available climate change solutions. Absolutely, it's fantastic. I recall in the season one interview with Angie Brooks from Brooks and Scarpa Architects, she mentioned the need for a policy shift to allow buildings themselves to be used as infrastructure. And we call that distributed generation. 
which we'll go into in the final installment of our all electric mini series. So stay tuned. Um, our company mandate has always been to encourage the on-site management of energy, water and waste. So if this becomes a federal and state government priority, it could really help with equitable access to inexpensive energy on a neighborhood level. Yeah, I love that idea of increasing mm. equity and access. And it's a huge part of environmental justice, the term you and uh, Ms. Bader Ginsburg used a bit earlier. Um, <laughs> so let's get down to the brass tacks. You know, obviously here in California and across the country, it's going to take a little while to get that clean energy tipping point here. You know, it, it can't and probably shouldn't honestly happen overnight. So how do we bring more people on board? That's the question, right, Ginger? One step at a time, as you say. Um, as you mentioned uh, a minute ago, there's a lot of cost savings that go along with avoiding gas hookups and single family construction. So uh, can we talk a little bit more about, about that? Yeah, of course. Um, I met Sean Armstrong. He's the one of the principals of Redwood Energy a few years back at Greenbuild International in Chicago. And his company is leading the charge for all electric construction here in California. I don't know if you noticed that pun there, but I got one in there leading the charge. <laughs> got to um, have one every episode, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was really surprised to find out initially when I first spoke with him that the average single family home, uh, new construction, could save close to $25,000 in building costs by simply eliminating the need for natural gas. And the bulk of that savings comes from not having to hire somebody and, and pay an entire team to run gas lines into the house. You eliminate an entire subset of work and you just bring in an electrician to wire the home for your electrical systems and appliances. Mm -hmm. And with the price of installing solar coming down so significantly in the last 10 years, it's really finally feasible to build homes that can take full advantage of the renewable solar energy that we have going. So Title 24 in California, took effect as of January 1st last year, which means all new single family home construction requires the design to be a net zero energy, which means an efficiently designed home that can produce enough on-site energy to offset its entire usage for the, for the year. It's an exciting That's concept, really. Really is. <laughs> and you know, solar is the clear choice for application in single family due to price, um, you know, wind, geothermal, it's out there, but those are those are bigger scale um, applications. And, and Title 24 really requires ultimately that that solar array be integrated into the design from the beginning. Something, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the only way to get to net zero. You can't get to net, you can't not use energy. <laughs> you have to use <laughs> some energy. Um, so obviously solar gives you the option to, uh, to try to provide that energy for the home. Um, you know, we and other designers that have, that have been focused on sustainable energy solutions uh, have been advocating for integrating that solar on the front end uh, for quite some time. So we're glad to see it in Title 24. It's, it's starting to emerge. So <laughs> listen to uh, season one, episode one, to learn more about the benefits of integrated design, which means getting all your contractors, HVAC designers, energy professionals, clients involved in setting goals and, and to maximize the budget performance and sustainability right up front. So mm. as you mentioned, this integrated approach is really now part of the necessary design process here in LA, given the stipulations of Title 24 for single family construction. So and what that really fantastic. means, yeah, it is. 
what it means in, in California is that the, those marginal costs of sustainable, high-performance design, you know, that everybody's so scared of, <laughs> can be offset by simply building all electric. Might as well save yourself some money where you can, right? Exactly, exactly. And I'll, I'll put links in the show notes to a few helpful websites where you can find out uh, what grants, subsidies, financing options are available for adding affordable solar to your net zero energy home, uh, wherever you are in the country. In my experience, just about every state has programs designed to help homeowners pay for their solar or receive tax credits to offset some of that cost. Um, there are also solar leasing options that bring down those capital costs. I'm not sure if other countries have similar resources, and I do know that we have some international listeners. So please reach out to us via email or social media or leave a comment on our Sustainable Homes of the Future YouTube channel. Uh, links are all included in the show notes. I'd like to take a moment right now just to say thank you to everybody out there listening. We appreciate everything that you're doing to teach yourself, to educate others, to further this sustainability conversation. In order for us to keep doing this podcast, we do need your ongoing support. So please go to our YouTube channel, Sustainable Homes of the Future, and hit that subscribe button or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and now on Patreon at SHF Build. We appreciate anything you can contribute and together we can build the future today. Thank you, thank you very much listeners. So, so let's talk a little bit about the cost of embodied carbon. Hmm. I remember learning from our conversations and the interviews in season one that a solar panel generally only takes about a year or so to make up for the carbon produced during the manufacturing of that solar panel. So that's a really a pretty quick payback I'd say. Yeah. No question. Uh, and and on top of that, it's a huge contrast to the gigantic carbon mm -hmm. footprint of expanding gas lines and infrastructure that is incredibly carbon intensive. Um, in the southeast region of the U.S., people are actually cashing in on this renewability trend and leasing their old tobacco farmland to solar <laughs> farm companies to provide energy for, for that area. I was surprised to learn that a lot of construction in that area of the country has been using these passive and on-site solutions for energy, for water, and for waste uh, for a while now. Um, developers love it, obviously. They can circumvent those higher gas costs. They can build healthier, better performing, more durable homes. Uh, and buyers love it because they get to reap the benefits of having lower energy costs. It definitely does help that electricity is really cheap across most of that area. But, you know, <laughs> I does. would say what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, you know, it, it, it's the perfect spot and they've taken full advantage of it. And, and hopefully other mm -hmm. places in the country will as well. Mm -hmm. But here in California, electricity is more expensive due to all those gas subsidies you mentioned. But mm -hmm. the state has been investing heavily in renewable energy for the last few years, really quite forward thinking. So those costs will come down. And even with the higher electricity prices, we still hear from many homeowners and building owners that they're saving money by going all electric. And with smart use of systems and appliances and emerging battery storage technology, which we're excited to talk about um, mm -hmm. in our upcoming grid electrification episode, there are multiple ways to avoid those peak energy costs. Uh, we'll talk about all that more. Um, also, just health and safety wise, you know, phasing out gas is important here in California where earthquakes and fires are a real thing. 
Um, but I would also argue that limiting that new gas infrastructure, as we've mentioned a few times now, would be a great sustainability and resilience strategy at state and federal levels as well. And I know people are always scared of systemic change, but I, I think in addition to everything that we now know about climate change and that broader scale, these recent power outages in Texas have really proven that you know, we as a country need to rethink the way that we produce and deliver energy for these obvious health and safety reasons. Um, developers, designers, and homeowners, all of us, we need to focus on resiliency. That's going to be a key term here in season two. Yes, yes. So I wanted to quickly reference a recent E3 report that very clearly sums up everything we've been talking about economics-wise, that building all electric can be cheaper than building with gas. Link in the show notes, please go and check it out. So, and the report shows the considerable carbon emissions that could be prevented by electrifying all the new construction and focusing on electrification retrofits in existing single family homes. I actually read a recent blog post that was sort of questioning that push for all electric and new construction. Um, and the reason was because single family home production is historically pretty slow right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should focus all our efforts elsewhere. We need all of the, uh, you know, the, the possible strategies that we can come up with. And like we've said about a lot of technologies and innovations in this green building space, mandates and reach codes, um, you know, on the local level, these all have an upward spiral effect that kind of leads to more adoption and education across the industry. It's really a, a trickle down or I guess trickle up, I suppose, economy. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what I've learned from talking to so many other building professionals that focus on sustainability in their practice is that once client under, clients understand the positive health impacts of building cleaner homes and buildings, they tend to be more open to some of these new, maybe, you know, quote unquote, outside the box ideas. Well, I think occupant health is really a great place to start with clients. They, they tend to understand that concept very realistically. So whether it's a residence, office, school, restaurant, whatever the building type, avoid gas, avoiding gas combustion and potentially harmful gas leakage is essential now. We've been able to study the severe impacts of VOCs, carbon monoxide and other greenhouse gases on human health. Yeah, that's a really great point, Ginger. And and one that the younger generation, Generation Z, who are <laughs> soon to be homeowners and already make up a really large percentage of new renters in cities across the country, Generation Z is looking for these healthier, healthier alternatives for everything. And that's going to yes, very yeah. much include the buildings that they live and work in as well. So if you could show them, they'd be avoiding harmful toxins that can lead to respiratory issues, migraines, cancer by building a healthier home and building. So that's where you get the Biden. Yeah, yeah. I wanna to touch on retrofits just for a second here. Um, what do you think, Ginger? Do you think it's easier or harder to get client buy-in for a retrofit than for new construction? Well, I think it's harder um, because in order to reach that cost savings delta, you need to catch people when their old inefficient HVAC systems or water heaters actually needs to be replaced. And you need an experienced professional to take a look at the entire system. So everything is interconnected. And so switching to all electric, despite its many benefits, it's not really a simple plug and play, unfortunately. Um, you do have to do energy load calculations and then use those numbers to design a system that can work effectively, um, integrated, integratively. So many HVAC contracts 
directors just don't really have the knowledge and experience to recommend electric heat pumps or in some cases even know how to sell or install them. So we hope here that we're educating the industry and moving forward in that direction. Yes, please. If you're a contractor looking to learn more about how to design all electric heating and cooling systems and get client buy-in for those upfront costs, um, you can find my interview with Nate Adams on the season two playlist on our YouTube channel. Uh, Nate spent a ton of time and energy developing a, what he calls a diagnostic sales system, uh, working with the client to educate and then ultimately realize the many benefits of all electric retrofits for existing homes. And this is in Ohio, you know, it's climate specific, but his company's closing percentage is up, his revenue is up, his clients are happier, more comfortable, they have lower energy bills, cool stuff all around. Very cool, very cool. Um, Nate and many others are part of that growing movement. Hashtag electrify everything. So there's a Facebook group. Um, go check it out where you can connect and learn more about the issues. So they're really focused on helping people who want to upgrade their existing homes and stay healthy. And as with anything, there's both costs and benefits of designing buildings to be ultra efficient and the Electrify Everything Group has links to in-depth articles, resources that break down the small things homeowners, contractors should consider before making the shift. Yeah, and, and our next episode, uh, we're gonna focus all on that, on those retrofits. I'm excited for that. Um, Great. One of the biggest things conceptually is just opening yourself up to the idea that electric appliances and electric space and water heaters are now fairly comparable price-wise with gas appliances. And in most cases, two to three times more efficient than what be, might be in your house or building design right now. And these electric options are only getting better. Um, mm -hmm. I do wanna caveat that if you're really committed to comfort, health and efficiency, there are other areas, which we'll talk about more next time, um, poor wall insulation, duct leakage, shading, old windows, et cetera, that you might want to take a look at while you're making that all electric switch that could really help maximize performance and also minimize the size and price um, of those heating and cooling systems. So it's not just about swapping it out. It's about thinking about the whole, the whole house approach. Again, mm -hmm. we'll talk more about the, that next episode. The whole system. Yeah, that's right, Ian. Um, so listen to our season one discussion series for more good ideas when it comes to passive energy, architecture, sustainable architecture and sustainable design. So all of these methods of integration, lowering energy loads, using nature and climate as a design advantage, help move that needle toward net zero energy. And that's our ultimate goal. So they also help lower global carbon emissions and move us away from cl climate change catastrophe. We're trying to avoid that. Yes. I came up with my own little catchphrase, actually, to GHG or not to GHG? <laughs> that is the question. Only insiders GHG. know that. <laughs> GHGs are greenhouse gases. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't know. Um, you know, the, 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 the big shift here, you know, going back to the, the Berkeley law and, you know, all of this, this, this movement, um, homeowners, renters, you know, people that live and work in buildings, to some degree, you know, you now have the choice to say, I don't want toxic chemicals, materials, or fuels in and around the place that I live or work, you mm. know, and the pennies that that decision might cost in the short term is super outweighed by the gold that it brings 
for years to come, literally lower energy bills, mm-hmm. better performance, better comfort. And as we mentioned, better health, better health, better health. That seems like a good place to wrap up. And so you want to tell everyone what's in store for our next episode? Yeah. Don't mind if I do. Um, mm-hmm. As I mentioned at the top, we're planning a three-part series on building electrification with our next episode focusing on retrofitting existing homes and buildings. Um, and then our third installment will have some case studies, um, some sort of big picture stuff from larger uh, and smaller new construction buildings, uh, everything from single family to commercial, multifamily, schools, restaurants, hospitals, everything's on the table here, right? Yes, absolutely. So bigger buildings, bigger impact for sure. Hmm. So as developers and designers ourselves, the choice is ours to make that impact either positive or negative. So if you're listening today and you want to Join us in making the built environment healthier. Please reach out. Let us know what subjects you guys want to hear about in this season two. So it's fun to get some suggestions from all our friends out there in the industry. Yeah. Do you personally think that electrification is a good idea? Tell us Mm -hmm. either way. You know, we want to know. We want to know. (laughs) Um, Ask us questions. Definitely want to hear from you. Absolutely. And stay tuned for our second building electrification episode. It's going to be wild and and great. So we'll be posting our new episodes just about every other week. Thank you so much for joining us for today's deep dive. Thank you, Ginger. Thank you. you. Um, I hope everybody learned a few things, but let's go ahead and recap. Whether we like it or not, building science and innovation have led us to this tipping point where centuries old methods of passive design and new and emerging technologies have made all electric buildings less costly to build and operate than their gas powered predecessors. That's that's the bottom line. It is the perfect time to educate ourselves and educate our clients on the benefits of avoiding gas and gas infrastructure. And all the data and market trends show this to be true about just across every sector of the building industry. And no one's saying, as I mentioned earlier, that this shift will or even should happen overnight. Okay, we wanna bring everyone along and clearly there are jobs, there are houses and cars that will still need to burn natural gas and uh, other fossil fuels to help us make that transition. But we need to get that ball of electricity. There's my second point. As it were. Uh, Rolling, not just for the planet, but for our health, for our comfort, and for a resilient future. So until next time, thank you for listening to Building the Future, Green Building in the New Millennium.